the Customers Who Click podcast back again, and I'm your host, Will Wellington. Today, I've got Nick Truman, founder of Spec Digital, with me here today to talk about SEO. Nick's got bucket loads of experience as a consultant and running or being involved in various agencies, so I'm really pleased to have him here on the podcast. SEO is one of those really difficult channels, um, so different to the other you know, acquisition channels, and it always has several uh, schools of thought to it. You've got the charlatans who promise you the top result on page one of Google. You've got scammers who'll promise you 100 super high domain authority links, but they just spam comments everywhere. And then you've got people who really know how to do it properly, people like Nick. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what you do and, um, and why you do what you do? Sure. My name's Nick. I, um, I run a small business called uh, Spec Digital Limited. I've got a background in uh, kind of agency world, running SEO agencies, PPC, um, lots of Google Analytical stuff. Um, I sold a business to an experiential marketing company a few years ago. Um, and we were doing some really interesting projects, with people like BT, in terms of putting stuff around their um, offices in London and then trying to digitalize that as a result. All of that kind of then finished off and I started, uh, I started Spec. Um, we still work heavily in PPC and SEO. It's always going to be the backbone of my career, I think. Um, and I very much started to try and carve a bit of a, um, a new way of doing things when it comes to, uh, to search engine marketing. But um, yeah, the main focus for us now is, is being a consultancy where rather than your traditional SEO agency just sending recommendations over or PPC agency just taking the budget and trying to spend it on a channel, um, we've tried to get more consultative with it. So we do a lot of education for our clients. We help write the strategy from the word go. Um, we get involved in a lot of website migrations from big high street retail brands and airlines down to uh, tiny little startup Shopify stores as well. But um, that's us in a nutshell. Okay, great. So um, speaking of SEO, do you want to... Explain SEO a bit to us. I mean, I think everyone listening probably knows what it is, but I mean more in terms of how it fits into the marketing mix. Definitely, definitely. I think one of the one of the big things about SEO, and um, for anybody who doesn't know, it's um, how do you get to the top of Google? That is search engine optimization. Um, it's something every business should be doing. The traffic costs nothing, and there's a whole whole range of reasons why you uh, why you should be doing it. Um, However, the way I look at it is um, SEO is, is very different to most marketing channels. Most marketing channels will send traffic into your website. And if you're lucky, that turns into a, um, a form fill or a new customer has been acquired. Customer acquisition is quite a, a well-used buzzword. Um, or it might even be revenue is the, is the way that a lot of retail stores will, uh, will monitor it. They'll say we spent you know, £10,000 a month on Google and we've made £100,000 a month back in revenue. So we've made a 10 to 1 uh, return. However, the way we look at SEO specifically is that SEO starts to be a bit more of an underlying thing across every single other thing that you do. So where a traditional marketing channel would just send traffic in and you put an advert or a signpost of some capacity up and that signpost sends traffic into your site, SEO is a bit different. Um, in one sense, it is the same that traffic does arrive from Google when it comes straight into your website and then people start doing things. Um, however, to, to be at the top of Google, you have to be, first of all, relevant. Um, we have this sort of three-staging process. Step one is always relevance. If you don't mention a certain phrase or word, it can almost guarantee Google's not really going to rank you for it. Although Google is getting smarter now, so it's starting to adapt to the way it is working. But ultimately, the first thing you always want is relevance. The second thing then is um, you want to be compelling. Um, you've got to be compelling in terms of your content. If you imagine everything that's typed into Google is a, uh, it's a challenge, it's a question. So I've um, been looking at cars recently. So if I type in a specific model of car, 
my question is, is this car right for me? Even though my search term was just Audi XYZ model, diesel, petrol, et cetera, hybrid. Um, my question really is, is this car right for me? Or there might be a specific thing I type in with it, like boot capacity or fuel tank capacity or miles per gallon. The specific things I'm trying to learn. So, you, so the second thing is you've got to have compelling content. Your content has to be compelling enough to answer that question and then ideally take it to another level. So if you just have a piece of text saying, here is the answer to your question, it's interesting, but it's not compelling. Um, it, it's functional, but again, it's not compelling. A compelling piece of content would then say, well, here's the answer to the, the particular service or product you were looking for. Plus, here's some other stuff you might be interested in. It might be a buying guide. It might be a blog post about this. It might be your favorite celebrity that's recently slept on this mattress. Not the specific one you're getting, obviously, um, but certainly the same bed. Um, and on that note, I bought a Simba mattress because I saw Gareth Bale laying on it on, um, on Facebook and thought, I play a lot of five-a-side football. My back always aches the next morning after a game. I'm going to buy that. And genuinely, it's made a difference. I don't know if it's placebo or not. Um, but their content was compelling enough for me to make a decision. <laughs> I mean, was, then, that, was that mentioned at all in the ad? Or did you just kind of sit there looking at it and go, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Five-a-side football? Must work for me. <laughs> well, no, because I, I spotted Gareth Bale in the advert. Like the actual image of, on Facebook within the advert itself had Gareth Bale on it. And it said something like, this is really good for um, recovery time from sport. And I was like, I, it just caught, it just one of those golden moments, right place, right time. Um, I mean, I bowed at this thing and said, right, I've now got to buy one. I'm so impressed with this marketing strategy. And we've still got it today. I actually, I've had it for nearly three years now and I absolutely love it. You know, I wouldn't change it unless it was actually broken. Um, it's a fantastic piece of kit. Um, but again, it might just be a placebo effect and that's fine. Either way, I'm happy. Um, but point number three then, so you've, you've got the kind of the point one being that you have to be relevant to it. Point two being you've got to be have some sort of compelling story around that particular um, thing that the user is looking for. And the third one is then you've got to be the best. And that's where things like social proof come in, um, reviews. Uh, it used to be called link building in the olden days. But to me now, SEO, once you've done a lot of the basics on the website, which continue to evolve, it's then looking at how do we build the brand profile of this business um, around the web? So how do we create some good content or do some podcasts or um, get featured on the news or actually all of our, for example, a construction company, we're trying to get them featured on NetMums and Mumsnet as much as possible. That's part of the SEO strategy. Again, not to create a link because it doesn't quite work like that anymore, but certainly to create that awareness, but also because we believe people on those two websites will also want our products and Google's going to watch all of that activity happening. So again, it's about relevance. It's about having a compelling story. And the third thing is about being the best. And it starts to, back to your question of what, why is SEO different to normal marketing channels? Well, most marketing channels are not that complicated. <laughs> most marketing channels, you pay an amount of money and you, uh, you know, your CEO gets to sit on the news or you pay a bit of money and some traffic comes in. Um, SEO, you're paying for these activities to be done or things to be created or the website to be adapted. The traffic itself from Google is free. So it's much more, um, hence why people call it organic search. It's a very organic way of building a business. Um, and it shouldn't be done on its own. It should be done with all the other channels. Um, you know, if, if a channel is profitable, keep it. That's always my, uh, always my, my catchphrase on the matter. Yeah, I see, I see your point about um, how it's different in channels. I mean, yeah, you, you, right. You can go onto AdWords or Facebook, um, you know, add, add your credit card, get some ads live and fingers crossed, you just start making money. Whereas, you know, SEO is a bit different. Um, it's not because you don't action it in the same way, do you? You don't, you don't really just start an SEO campaign and see the money rolling in or the traffic rolling in. 
it's a you know it's a long term long term approach. I guess it's about just about making sure your website is is kind of correct, giving people the right information that they that they're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, I think they I think it's often overlooked that that bit I mentioned number three about being the best. I think that bit is always overlooked. Um, we get a lot of um, certainly the SEO briefs that we receive as a consultancy. We very much pride ourselves in solving problems. You know, that's a sort of uh, salesy marketing uh, strap line that that the um, the geeks in my team came up with. But um, certainly that we get a lot of sob stories of people saying, yeah, we've optimized every page. We're using every meta tag under the sun. And, you know, we're still not number one. There's still some rubbishy little website at number one. And it, being brutally honest, there's a reason Google prefers it to yours. And we've got to work out what that reason is. That's, that, that's got to be the, uh, the core of the SEO strategy is, is it that that website actually is so simple? Um, to give you a really interesting statistic, while we're sitting here recording a podcast in different locations during lockdown, um, I did notice on Google Trends that the, uh, the amount of search volume increase on um, quiz questions and answers for people doing Zoom pub quizzes has gone through the roof. Ironically, oh. there's been no new websites registered for quiz questions and answers, which I, th- I thought was really bizarre. I thought surely this is the time they should be redeveloping their sites and all this sort of thing. But clearly I'm wrong. Uh, every site I've been on has been horrible in terms of its design. Some of them look like those grey and blue forums of like the early 2000s. And um, yeah, been very shocked that nobody's kind of grabbed the mantle and created the, you know, the world's leading or the UK leading, uh, you know, sort of quiz, quiz uh, and trivia question and answer sites. Um, it's definitely a gap it's- in the market for anyone listening. I mean, it's a little surprising. I mean, I'm, well, I do, what, two quizzes a week. <laughs> I think my parents do two or three. Um, but I, I think one of the problems is probably that, that there are so many questions out there. Um, it, it's so easy to find the quizzes um, and the questions for those quizzes online already. So making a business out of it is probably a little difficult, especially in the short term. You know, obviously you could take that long-term approach of getting all that data in, all those customers in, and then saying, well, now lockdown's over, no one's doing these quizzes as much, what can I sell them now? Um, But I think a lot of people who try to take advantage of situations like this are people who want that short-term game, game, and maybe you can't get that from a a quiz site. I you would have thought about me. Google Ads, though, like running, you know, because there's so many sites that run like, um, you know, Google AdSense. Um, and Google's own model is if you come on our site and want some piece of information, it's free, um, essentially, whereas, you know, they make the money out of the advertising. And so I, I was wondering about, you know, why is nobody thinking of doing something like that? The traffic you could get right now um, and you just have to have one mention in the news right now and you'll be flooded with traffic which means you better have a decent, uh, decent set of web hosting servers uh, ready to kick in or make sure you're on a sort of scalable AWS with a, a, good, um, a good credit card, uh, credit card limit. Um, but certainly, yeah, I just, it was just a sort of side thought the other day when uh, we're about to do a quiz on Zoom with some family members and uh, um, suddenly thought like, you know, why is no one capitalizing on this? That, you know, you could have quiz questions that synchronize with Zoom somehow. And, you know, it does make a lot of sense to me, but uh, equally, as you say, short-term gains at the moment. I think a lot of the new businesses that have been set up recently have been people finding PPE and things. Yeah, yeah, I'm seeing a lot of that. Um, so, yeah, you mentioned link building earlier, um, which was definitely a thing, you know, well, for me a few years ago when I was, I was doing bits of SEO um, and it was, 
it, it, for a little while it was considered like the most important thing to do. And then I think it just, it's another one of those tactics that just got abused. Um, yeah. But do you think there are any, are there any kind of common myths or misconceptions about SEO? Um, in well, there's loads. Of business or, or how people treat it? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think, I think one of the issues that people, one of the biggest, I wouldn't necessarily call it a myth, but a misconception about SEO, the, the wrong approach is where people come into it thinking, how quickly can I make gains? When's it going to be finished? Um, I did do a talk um, a couple of years ago where I was asked to go through my top 10 SEO myths. And one of them was just SEO, colon, done, with a big thumbs up. And the myth is that it is done. And the, at the end of the day, SEO is a, is a competitive um, you know, it's a competitive race. It's a race to number one. Um, but it's a race that never ends. You're constantly running in this race. And so I think one of the biggest dangers where people come into SEO going, what are you going to do differently? You know, we've done everything before. And then when they sort of finish that phase, that's, again, as I mentioned earlier, that's when we generally get the phone call. It's like, look, we've worked with loads of people. We need something a bit different. We need someone to sort of take a step back, write a strategy, work out where our customers really are. Um, one of the big myths that I come up against on the link building side of things is what has always been around, um, you know, what's our link juice um, is, a, is a thing I've heard a lot, which I think is utter nonsense. Um, I won't swear on your podcast, Will. I was about to, but uh, <laughs> utter nonsense. Um, I think as well, the, another thing that pops up a lot is, um, for example, Moz has a thing called um, domain authority. Whilst I yeah. understand where they're coming from. And I think it is a really interesting way of measuring how many links are coming into your website and how relevant is your site. Having this kind of, you know, one to a hundred score, it makes a lot of sense. But at the end of the day, Google's not rating it like that. So it's fine to use that score and have it as a one of your KPIs. But I have found businesses that, you know, they, I talk to their internal SEO person or internal e-com director or marketing manager. And they say to me like, oh yeah, we've got domain authority or domain rank or whatever it is of, you know, uh, six out of 10 or 60% or something. Um, and to me, it doesn't really mean much. Um, you know, you could have the best link building profile in the world and the worst UX and you've got no sales. So even though your link building profile is fantastic in terms of, you know, the BBC feature every morning at the top of their homepage or, um, you know, the Amazon homepage just has this giant banner one day that says, don't come to Amazon, go to this, you know, gardening shop over here. They're fantastic and just send all their traffic through to them. Um, even if you had that, if the gardening shop itself when you arrive on that store, if that had a really bad buying experience and nobody purchased, or say the cart had been broken for the last six weeks and nobody could purchase, as if Google's going to want that at the top of its rankings, regardless of what Amazon's saying or regardless of what the BBC are saying. Um, obviously, it would increase. It would probably be up there in the top sort of three, five, if you had that level of you know, what used to be called link building. Um, we call it brand awareness now. It's brand mentions and it's, and it's traffic driving. Those are the two things we're aiming for. So a brand mention, again, I mentioned the construction company with, um, you know, sort of parent forums where people are asking about a new driveway or a loft extension or moving house or, um, you know, damp. Rising damp is like, I had it in my house a while ago. It's a massive thing. And this construction company, they solve rising damp problems. So actually having a link from that page to this construction company, well, that's a great link. Not because we've built a link and everybody can go home in the knowledge that we've done a bit of SEO link building, whatever that means. Um, but actually because that link is now going to drive traffic, that people are now going to go from NetMums and Mumsnet to this website because this company can solve the problem and they're coming recommended by other people on that uh, on NetMums and Mumsnet. 
And then, then the after effect is Google's also going to look at it and go, well, that's a good link and everyone's promoting this business. Well, we better move them up the SEO rankings a bit because clearly they're popular. And then we'll see how many people go on their website and bounce back off. Or if they go on their website, do they come back and continue their search and go to other sites to try and find the answer? Or do they just stay there? And again, I think that there's so many different components that one of the dangers, as you say, is people used to do two things that were awful and Google totally clamped down on it. One was link building, which is where you get as many links as you can to the website. And lots of people are building millions of websites called 123 directory and uh, SEO directory.biz.net.com and all this other, and then just linking aimlessly to all their clients, all their SEO clients, all their own websites. And it, at first Google wasn't very sophisticated. So Google had this sort of vote system and you could gain votes by um, getting links from any website into your site. And then you could also gain votes by mentioning specific keywords on your website. So you could put loads and loads of white text and a white background with the same word on size 0.1 font a million times across the back of your site. And Google would go, wow, you've got the most votes. You could be number one for um, you know, ki- kitchen fitters in, uh, in Manchester as a keyword because you mention it more than anybody else. You've got all these Manchester kitchen fitting websites pointing at you. And then Google got a bit more sophisticated and said, actually, that doesn't say anything about your business, doesn't say anything about your user experience, doesn't say anything about your customer reviews. We're going to change this. And we, we actually made a policy at my old agency of, we think they've been hit by an algorithm update. We'll only work with them if they have a new website and a new domain. And of course, people would go away going, wow, they, those guys are so arrogant. They want me to spend all this money on a new website. Of course, that would fix it. Um, without listening to the substance of, well, the reason we're doing this is, um, you know, it's going to take us six to 12 months just to clean up all that rubbish. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of, there are a lot of myths around SEO. Um, feel free to look at our website if you want to do a bit of myth busting. Um, we've always tried to be very transparent with the way we talk about SEO. Um, hence why we also provide training and we consider every single deliverable from our business a coaching opportunity for the client to ask questions. What does this mean? What does that do? And we then shed some light on it. And if that continues, then it's like, well, why don't we sit down and have a training day every three months? You know, that could be a good way of doing it. But um, yeah, there's certainly a lot of, um, certainly a lot of myths out there that need to be, uh, need to be busted, in my opinion. Yeah, I think I remember quite a, quite a few years ago, towards the start of my career, I know someone who made you know, a little bit of money um, through basically uh, blogging. Uh, I think he set up a bunch of travel blogs. And um, he'd basically repost the same content across them, like tweak them slightly, but post the same content. So each one's getting updated every few days. Um, Reach out to a bunch of other travel-related websites and say, can you link to me? Like, you know, they'd find their directory directory, because they'd just have one page just full of other travel sites. Get get all them all to LinkedIn. His DA would increase to, you know, 30, 30, 35, and then he'd start getting people getting in touch with him saying, can we sponsor a post? Like we'll, we'll provide the content or some people would say, we'll provide the content and, and the link and everything. And other people would just say, I'll give you some money just to put a link in. Um, and that was literally the business. Like the point of it is it wasn't actually being a travel site or a travel blog. Um, it was literally just gaming the system to get what looked like a decent kind of SEO authority um presence and then uh and then just you know selling that selling those links back um yeah ridiculous yeah and i i've seen a lot of that stuff in the past and my advice is well 
stop cheating the system and just be an awesome travel site. If you've got content from every travel business in the UK, clearly you're a place that you know, potential travel customers want to hang out. Yeah, um, I mean, I think that, yeah. that wasn't the point. He didn't want to be a travel blog. It know, was just it was a, an <laughs> easy yeah. It was just an easy uh, easy industry to target because um, everyone wants sure. to travel. It's easy to get pictures and things, or probably use your own. Um, but yeah, uh, like you said about the the six to twelve month cleanup, I've I've been on the end of that. Um, it's not pretty. Uh, it does take a long time, um, and if you get the wrong uh, wrong advice, it, it takes even longer because even if you're a fairly big business, if you try and get around the, the the rules or you know find a loophole google makes it a bit tougher for you so i, I remember we were told uh you know I won't name the companies and stuff but we, we got told that if we just disavowed all, all those bad links we'd be fine so big project went ahead disavowed like tens of thousands of links i think it was um and then google went no you've actually got to go to some effort here like we want you to make an effort to remove those links not just say nothing to do with us. Um, so that wasted like, I don't know, probably two, three months disavowing the links and then it all had to be done again, basically. Um, yeah. And I think when disavow came out, we used it a few times for some of those companies. And we, I think one of them, we even said, you know, you guys are in such a mess. We will do the disavow bit for free. And then if that works, then we can look at doing normal SEO. And we had a sort of commercial agreement of that. So if we had sort of fixed it and they jumped back, they weren't just going to leave overnight. There was a sort of, um, you know, a fee associated with it, a bit of a reward. Um, and we submitted the disavow report and we cleaned up as many of the links as we could um, as a result. And we put in quite a lot of effort over a few weeks and basically no improvement at all. So I got in touch with Matt Cutts and managed to get um, get 10 minutes on the phone with him. Um, and for anyone who's not heard of Matt, he... I don't know if he's still there, but he, he used to be like the SEO guy at Google. He would release these videos explaining like, you know, we're changing this now for these reasons. So like mobile websites are coming out, Google Maps is coming out. Therefore, we're changing the way search engines work. And we want to give everyone a heads up so we can get the best stuff on there the day this is launched. Again, I love Google. Like, it's a great ethos. It's a great way of, uh, of operating. And I managed to get on the phone about like, this whole disavow thing. And he said, between you and me, if you submit a disavow report, Google basically goes, ah, now we definitely know you've cheated the system. So once you've cleaned it all up, you're still in our bad books and you have to work your way out. So like, and yeah. even if you were to create a new website, if they were to, if the Google connected this new website and the old website are basically the same thing, um, then, you know, there would be, and that would be a new website on a new domain. We are even newer businesses at times changing their um, actual registration name and saying, you know, we're now going to be known as a completely new name. And we've got to make sure there's no ties to the old business at all, purely because SEO has been ruined. Absolutely. In hindsight, looking at it now, absolutely mind boggling, but it shows you how important it is. Um, and it, certainly today, I've, I've seen a lot of businesses make a lot of very big commercial decisions based on SEO. Um, you know, even like, how do, we, how do we protect our rankings and make sure we don't lose any? So if we do invest more into it, we know that investment is not going to be wasted or that we're not going to put it all in and then in six months lose it all. Um, you know, again, which going back to the point around sort of what is SEO, um, it can be very difficult, I think, to get funding from businesses for SEO. You have to get a proper strategy in place. Otherwise, what you do is you run the risk of getting a cheap SEO outfit who are going to do link building and that, that sort of stuff just for the sake of 
send us the money and we'll do something. And if it goes wrong, you're, you know, we, we've got paid and, and you're still in a, still in a problem. So um, I'd be very, very weary of sort of charlatans out there and cowboys that still exist in the industry. Um, but yeah, all, always happy to give free advice to people on any, any service they pick up. Um, you know, we're regularly doing sort of web agency finding exercises with clients, um, telling Will just before we hit the record button about something very similar, um, which uh, by the time this is out, it'll be public knowledge. So um, <laughs> that'll be absolutely yeah. fine. But uh, yeah, certainly um, making sure you've got the right, right suppliers on board that you understand are going to work well with, you believe in their strategy and approach, for me, is worth five times the budget than if you don't and you think it might go wrong. If you think it might go wrong, you're better off spending nothing or spending a decent amount. There is no sort of middle middle milestone, in my opinion. Uh, what the what were the what were the first things you'd do then if you uh, if you were starting with a new client, um, kind of I guess assuming that they've not come with a particular problem, they just want to let's say increase their SEO presence. Generally, we we actually did a um, we're in the process of actually getting some case studies at the moment. Um, we had a policy of not having case studies um on our website until recently so for the last four years we've deliberately had no case studies at one point we had a page that said we're not going to have any case studies but i've actually been going through this exercise recently we've decided to add them in but not as a we're going to sort of end up having two sections one's going to be um case studies which is going to be a just very short we did this for this business it's all verification of you know this business we're happy to put their name on here to say a spec or a good business to work with um then we're gonna have a separate section where we can go into all of the juicy stuff um, the reason we never wanted case studies is you can basically write what you want. It's all quite fluffy. You're not really allowed to share any information. So this new juicy section, we will be sharing all of that information. And it's going to be called Problems We Solve. And we've actually gone through this exercise of, you know, if a client comes to us and says, we just want to improve our SEO a little bit, or we don't really know what's going on, which is the most common brief we probably get, actually. Um, and I could name five major high street retailers that... I reckon 99% of your um, listeners have shopped at at least three of the five. All of them came to us and were like, look, we haven't got a clue what's going on. We don't know where we're ranking. We don't know what our agency are doing. I don't think we're implementing anything they're doing. I don't think they like working with us. What is going on? And so for some of the clients like that, the first project is, you know, call it what you want, the SEO audit, digital audit, strategy creation, uh, SEO review. We essentially grab every single piece of data we can possibly find um, in their Google Analytics, in all the reports from their agency, if we're allowed access to them. We ask the agency first. Sometimes even doing that exercise for some larger brands, they keep their agency. We're just brought in as a, um, a sort of internal opinion. You know, again, a consultant rather than an agency. An agency would do a lot more doing. For our clients, we do do the doing, but we always have that level of consultancy. And so first project is often a... Um, either a kind of strategy piece around, you know, don't really know what's going on, but we want better SEO. Okay, fine. Well, let's look at the keyword research um, and see what people are actually typing into Google to try and find a business like yours and then sort of work on from there. Um, other clients are in a bit of a mess and they don't really know where they're going. So we do a bit more of a looking back piece to then create some briefs for every channel, not just SEO, but um, also looking at things like affiliate marketing and PR and news and um, social, all the things that are actually going to influence SEO as well. So the first project is often a bit of a loosey-goosey, where are we going with this? Um, another big project we always get involved in, and partly because of our relationship with lots of web agencies that, you know, I'm absolutely flattered that they're so keen to refer us all the time. A, a lot of our work does come from web agencies where they've got a client who says, right, we need a new website, we're going with you. Um, what's going to happen to SEO? And they're like, right, let's get the guys at Spec to come in and have a chat. And those projects will always start off with some sort of discovery. 
there'll be some sort of piece where we'll do some of the traditional SEO stuff, like building a keyword list and auditing the site. But then we will build a roadmap of saying, right, we need to sort all your blog content out. We need to sort out your locational stuff because the platform you're moving from today to, you know, that you're on today and moving to tomorrow, there is going to be some different stuff that you're going to have to actually change in the way the te technicalities work in terms of location. Um, you know, it might be language, it might be currency, it might just be locality of, you know, our British representatives are in these places and our French representatives are in these locations, etc. Um, and we need to make sure Google can read all of that. And then we also got to do a bit of a ben benchmarking kind of commercial exercise for the marketing director and the board. So they know that SEO is taken care of. Here's how important it is to the business. Here's how much of it is brand that is not at risk. So if it all goes wrong, we're keeping that bit. And then actually what is likely to happen? And again, the bigger the organization, the more of those sort of questions we start getting asked, um, you know, to, to write reports and run training sessions with directors around SEO and what we're doing to tackle things. And, you know, if they did spend more on their SEO, where should it go? You know, should it come to us? Should it go to writing content and that sort of thing? So, um, you know, the way we positioned the business, every single client, and it's a very cliche, every single client really is different. Um, you know, things are very, very bespoke to what that client's needs are, but they often fit in one of those categories where it's either kind of gone a little bit wrong and they need to sort it out. Um, it's stagnant and they don't really know where to go from here. Um, you know, their current partners sort of run out of ideas, which is quite a common thing I hear. Um, fortunately, not from our own clients. Um, and then the other one is, is certainly web migrations. They're a massive part of this. Um, we also, the only other category actually is where um, rather than migration is new website where somebody's launching something completely fresh and they're like, we want it to be SEO optimized. And we're very realistic and say, well, you're not really going to know that much until you know something. So we can do all the basics and the obvious bits and then sort of throw it and see what sticks to the wall. And then once we sort of see what's happened in the first month or so doing all the obvious stuff, then we'll start to get some interesting, um, some interesting learnings to then take, take forward from there. Uh, yes. Yeah, so if you could elaborate on that bit um, a little bit more, actually, um, you know, if, if someone were to start a new website, um, whether it's for a new business, a, a blog, or um, like a new kind of, don't use microsites anymore, do we? But, you know, like a... Some people do. <laughs> yeah. Like just, a, you know, a business is launching a new website for a particular campaign or product. Um, what are the, are there a few things that you'd recommend just looking at straight away and making sure these key things are in place? I think the key thing is having a way of sending traffic to the site. Um, that would be my first recommendation. I, fortunately, not, not for a while, but I used to see a lot of sites that would launch. All the effort goes into how it looks, how it's branded, etc. But then it, that organic kind of people just hearing about it and telling friends, it takes time. And it takes a lot more time than businesses will ever be able to afford um, in terms of finance. And so actually, I think the... The first thing I would say is definitely you need to make sure you've got some sort of traffic stream. So a lot of successful businesses have been launched off the back of having good influences on Instagram and YouTube um, or some sort of connection to a bigger business or some or another business that said, yeah, you're fine. Give us 10 percent of all your orders and we will endorse you. You know, only orders, obviously, that we help generate will endorse you and start getting people onto your onto your email platform or something like that. Um, PPC is another good way of doing that as well. I think in terms of the website itself. My second bit of advice would be to um, think really, really clearly, and this is business 101, not SEO yet. We'll come on to SEO a bit. What, are you, what problems are you actually trying to solve? What makes you different? 
and what is your USP? And I, I emphasize the U bit a lot. What is your unique selling point or proposition? Um, you know, I, again, my background, run lots of agencies, didn't really know where to go from there. Didn't, I had a kind of cool story of where I had been, but I didn't, at the time, I didn't really know what was going to come out next. And it actually started from me saying, well, you know, I'm really good at marketing, but I want to grow businesses. I want to be a bit more entrepreneurial with this, but not, I don't, it doesn't mean I want 10 companies under my belt. That sounds like an administrative and financial nightmare. Um, but what I do want, what I do want is I want to help businesses grow using my skills, which is why we ended up in consultancy, which does make us a bit different, certainly to what most people will have come across in terms of a, an SEO partner in the past. And I think it's the same for any business. If you're service-based, what is your USP? And you're not the fastest, you're not the best, you're not, you're not the cheapest, you're not the friendliest. All those things are really fluffy and anybody could copy that. However, if you are the only stockist of a certain brand in the UK, for example, you could take an American or Canadian or Australian or Peruvian brand um, and say, right, we're going to become the official UK stockist of this. Well, now you've got a bit of a story and a bit of a USP behind you. Or if you are service-based, you could say, well, we're one of only five companies that are on a specific government scheme to push out, um, you know, at the moment, a lot of people are on furlough um, in the UK. Um, and there's also then this whole kind of business loan scheme. And only certain businesses are actually being able to provide that government-backed scheme, which in my political opinion, which I'll share very briefly, complete failure from the government. I think it should be coming direct from government. I know it might be, but I certainly know from, from looking around at the market at the moment and seeing what competitors one of our clients are doing, a lot of people are struggling to get hold of that finance because the loops they have to go through, it's a government-backed loan, but it has to come through a partner. So from a business point of view, those 5, 10, 20 partners that are on that government scheme, that's fantastic. A bit like chartered accountants. If you're chartered, you're now one step above most. Unfortunately, in the UK, you have to be chartered. So it doesn't really give you a USP. But I think certainly that, that's the biggest thing that I think businesses lack. Businesses that have a good USP, which might be like the collections they put together, the style they go for, them, their branding. Some of them do, you know, Amazon do like prime delivery. Argos in the UK are doing same day, well, we're doing same day delivery for quite a while. Um, certainly same day store pickup if it's not in store already you know they'll have it delivered by 4 p.m today and you can go and pick it up um, again things like that are really really competitive but what if you could order that on something like a shed or some garden furniture or a brand new car you know now, now you start to get a bit of a competitive edge here and I think certainly finding a competitive edge is something people really need to think about when they're launching something find that and then drive traffic to it and it's not going to work on day one so don't pretend it is and I'm not going to pretend it is in terms of my advice, but I do think once um, you know, once you once you launch it, that gives you the best chance of getting something back in the way of customers and business, and then you can start to uh, start to grow from there and see see what customers are really interested in and refine your service offering or your product range, etc. I completely agree about the USP points. Um, you see loads of, I'd say, particularly fashion sites, um, oh, yeah. which so boring, almost all look <laughs> identical. Um, you know, almost as if the same web agency has designed tens of thousands of these sites um well they all look like marketplaces don't they there's a kind of header then there's a couple of filter options and then there's just a list of products that's like the classic category on every website yeah talking to someone about this the other day actually yeah the um how in-store and on-site uh experiences differ but are also the same and actually you know you look at a lot of uh, a lot of high street retailers the experience is almost the same um, you basically you, you've got the option of walking around a store 
finding the product you want, um, you know, on, on shelves full of dozens of different uh, of similar products, or you go to the website and you scroll through pages of products trying to find the one that you want on a page full of similar products. Um, and when you've got so much opportunity on both sides to actually make the experience so much better, you know, you could have salespeople in store helping you. Um, you could have kind of lookbooks and more interactive ways of helping you actually pick out the clothing you want online. Um, but uh, no, no one really does it. <laughs> All the sites are basically just uh, an online catalogue that you just that you just pick from. Um, yeah, my little, I mean, we work. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I completely agree. We work a lot in in e-commerce. It's it's at least half our portfolio at the moment, um, and the options available to you are endless like Shopify and Magento, you know, cost a bit more works incredibly well. We've got clients on Hybrist, which, you know, you've got to be looking at at least one plus million just for the development and, and other stuff, a huge industrial platform, absolutely vital to some businesses. But one of the things we do a lot when we're in that kind of discovery phase is actually trying to educate the internal team on how their customers want to shop. Unfortunately, the way they categorize products and things is always like, walking around the warehouse and going, right, we've got some of them, make a category, we've got some of them, make a category. And it's like, that literally is the layout of your warehouse. What you should be doing on the front of the shop is going, actually, people don't go on Google and search um, glass, metal, glass and metal table lamp. That is not a keyword that is widely used in the UK. What they do do is they go on and search um, kitchen lamps, which has got, now you've got a completely different story, different imagery, different design that you could create around that story um, and build an, a compelling story. Again, going back to my points about, you know, compelling content, build something quite nice and compelling um, for people to, um, you know, for people to actually use. And I think, as you say, retail sites have become incredibly boring in recent years. They all have a menu with three USPs, which aren't very unique. It's like, you know, fast delivery, 24 seven customer service and free returns. And it's like, that's all kind of a given. And actually most customers, and I can't remember what it was now, there's a survey I read a while ago. Most customers said couldn't care less about free delivery and couldn't care less about free returns um, and don't care when their customer service are available. The fact you need to reassure us is kind of worrying is what the consumers said. <laughs> yeah. um, what they were interested in is, you know, hands chosen by you, uh, gift wrapping is available for free. If it's like a, you know, gifts you'd buy for newborn babies or birthdays or, you know, that kind of, that builds an experience like um i can't remember the name of the company now but you know those uh, birthday boxes you buy and they explode with confetti when you open them oh, yeah. um they they have gifts on every product and category page of that happening okay well that's a usp now isn't it i mean i certainly have never opened a box and had it explode on my lab however every time i think about that i'm really keen to buy one for my girlfriend it'd be hilarious <laughs> watching her open this thing um you know and even the concept they've got on their website is now making us laugh on this little podcast miles away talking about i can't remember the name of the brand i'm really gutted that i can't um because i'd like to give them a shout out but um i think it was boom for something like that oh you might be right aren't they the one that do the marshmallows <laughs> like personal yeah, marshmallows that's the one yeah we did a bit of work for them a while ago that was it and uh, yeah i bought some of those marshmallows with our faces on um for uh, for, for christmas for one of my relatives um but yeah again it's, it's a usp and then you've got this gift you've got gifts you can put on the page from an SEO point of view, Google's going to watch this and go, wow, people love this website. You know, people are laughing about it. They're sharing the GIFs. They're watching. And GIFs now, there's a piece of GIF content, which for anybody who doesn't know, GIF is lots of stills put together to make a, a kind of, you know, very 
low budget animation um, that therefore isn't very large in terms of page load times and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, we, we're using them at the moment for uh, one of our clients to put um, a GIF on pages to show actually a car seat um, being put into a car to show how simple it is, as in a, a child's car seat. Um, so again, really functional use, gives a bit more than you'd normally expect from a website like that. Um, but equally, it doesn't affect page load time and increases design. And it's only taken, you know, only taken a few man hours to create um, in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um... I think it's next actually uh next on their product pages they they have a little video of of the of someone actually wearing the uh wearing the item which i think is really really great and i'm surprised more stores don't do that so they have you know they have their standard product pictures you know like the product on its own from front back the product being worn by someone front back but then they also have this video of this guy kind of you know doing that that, that model walk of in front of the camera kind of turning around so you can really see the product and uh yeah i just i can't believe more sites don't do that that seems like the perfect way to actually show off what how your product looks um but yeah gifts gifts are gifts are definitely getting um well i was going to say getting more more and more used but i don't think they are actually um but they should be i think that's the point and um i was speaking to adam kitchen from magnet monster the other day he's actually he's on the podcast that gets released or got released on the 13th of may um and yeah he was talking he was saying that he, he sees gifts as something that should be one of the big things coming up over the next 12 months in email marketing um because yeah it means you don't have to put four or five products uh individual products on an email you can put one gif and show them all off um so yeah, yeah i think i completely I think agree websites that do more of that uh, and can keep the you know the image or the gift sizes down and the then the load times down um mm. they'll do really really well yeah i think um i just 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 one thing to shout out quickly i don't know if it's been released yet i admittedly don't use asos's app i am an asos customer but i don't use their app on the uh i haven't actually downloaded their app and use it on the iphone sort of thing but one thing that they were pushing at a small kind of drinks in london before we were all locked down um I think it was towards the end of uh, 2019, they were pushing uh, this app that had been created and I was chatting with the developer who had actually made it, his, his business coded it all. Um, and the, app, the idea of the app is you put your measurements into the app. The app then has 100, 200 models, both male and female, um, and it finds one that matches your measurements and shows using AI, they literally walk along wearing like green screen um, skin type morph suits. Um, it then CGI's the clothes on top and shows you the fit and they walk along and then sort of stand there and turn around. And then they were also talking about having an AI version where you could have that using your phone. You could then see that model standing in the room wearing that product you were looking at. And what you could then do is fill up your basket with items and just be swiping right a bit like Tinder, just going straight through, looking at each product on this model that matches your matches your measurements just in terms of the basics like you know height leg size um chest size etc waist um that sort of thing so uh, yeah again really interesting piece of tech um i mean where are you going to buy a product online where it's just sitting on a shelf and you might then have to return it um because it might not fit or where you can actually watch a video of somebody matching your description wearing the thing um yeah i think technology is certainly uh, Certainly got the potential there, but a lot of the clients we're working with, we're still running around the basics of, you know, what SEO stuff is out there, et cetera. Yeah, I, exactly. I think um, 
there's still even for for some big brands there's still some so many of the basics to go back to and actually make make sure they're doing them right um even stuff as basic as personalizing emails better you know getting relevant products in them um you know the the number of emails i get from from brands that i i do shop with and it's just it's basically just here are a dozen products we think you might like and none of them are relevant to anything that i've purchased before it's basically just their default newsletter that's gone out to to everyone um it's interesting the comment you made about free shipping though um from what from what i've read uh, it still seems to be one of the most important things for people um getting free shipping which is strange because uh well if if retailers are doing it right the free shipping value is set at an amount which they know is not is, is higher than their uh, normal average order value so they're still making that money anyway um and on free returns um I can't remember who it was now. It might have been the guy, it might have been ASOS. I think it was ASOS. Said that uh, they see something like 40% return rate if they've what for wow. using free delivery. Uh, sorry, free returns. Yeah. Um, and it's just it's so it's so bad and toxic for the industry. Um, but because certain brands do it, other brands feel that they have to to compete. So they don't want that other company to have that USP of free of free returns. So they do it as well, and they start seeing all the returns. And you know, you get, you know, if if your free shipping value is too low as well, you could be ordering one product, getting that sent out to you for free, and then going, actually, no, I don't like it, and sending it back. And I think actually one of his points, I'm just going to assume it's the ASOS guy now. Um, <laughs> one of one of his points was that uh, it's that um, Instagram thing, isn't it? I, I don't know what the term is, but it's basically people buying an outfit, wearing wearing it for an Instagram photo or two, or maybe maybe an, an one night out or something or one event, and then sending it back. So they're actually yeah. like they're basically like renting the clothing but not paying for it. Yeah, I know. I've I've seen a lot of that, and I think I'm a massive fan of free delivery. Um, but I, yeah, just going back to my point, I don't think it's a USP and I think that's where the problem lies. Um, but I do think it depends what the product is. I, I saw the other day, in fact, I'll give you a really classic example of where, um, the delivery caused friction with me recently. Um, I've ordered a new car, like brand new. And then I, when I was checking the, um, the paperwork, it said there was a 600 pounds delivery charge. And I was sort of like, well, hang on a minute, that you know, that's, that's mind boggling. I don't want to pay 600 pounds extra to have things delivered. Bearing in mind, the garage is two miles from my house. And I phoned the garage and said, well, you know, what, why is there this charge? And they said, well, it's obviously coming from the factory. It's being shipped in, etc." And I said, well, can I wait? Can I buy it and sign the paperwork once it's arrived at your garage? I guarantee I will buy it. But you, you're getting it there anyway. You told me it's half in transit, which is why I went for this specific model. So why am I suddenly footing that bill? And then they said, oh, no, it's included within the price of the car. And if we put that on there, it lowers your road tax bracket. Rather than if we don't put it in there, it pushes you over into another threshold where your road tax would be more expensive on the vehicle forever because the on the road price has changed. And it was just, again, buying a car is an incredibly complicated um, episode versus buying a T-shirt on ASOS. And I completely understand yeah. that. Um, but it was interesting to see that. And another one was, um, I, I can't remember if it was New Look. In fact, I think, I think New Look, I'm going to take a pun and say it was New Look. Um, at a conference years ago, they said they were umming and ahhing about offering um, free returns. 
And they took the punt and said, we've got to do it. Everyone else is doing it. This is us keeping up. Even if it costs us in margins today, it will save us in money long term. That was their approach. And they eventually launched it and they rolled it out to 100% of their audience. And they saw no difference in the volume of returns or certainly percentage of returns they were getting. But they saw an increase in purchases and they saw their SEO rankings jump up a little bit as a result. They did it as a completely isolated test. It's the only change they made on the website apart from stock. And they saw all rankings went up by a small percentage. Um, and again, no increase in returns at all, but just customer. Um, again, and I think going back to my point, that is a customer first improvement to a website that's made a massive difference. Um, one thing that would be interesting just to highlight quickly, though, is we're talking about ASOS and New Look, big retailers, um, you know, have a lot of weight behind them. They've got years of trading history. They've got good brand awareness. One of the issues I used to find at conferences was that everybody was always talking about these big companies and how they made 5% difference here, 2% difference here. And I was, I remember sitting in these things thinking, some of our clients are tiny, you know, 5% difference, they wouldn't even notice. That's like two more inquiries this week. They wouldn't, might be slightly higher than normal, but it's certainly not anything to write home about or certainly write a report to the client about. Um, so yeah, it was always, I think always with all of these things, take them, you know, take them with a pinch of salt and apply them to your business because Actually, if you're still not quite making profit or you're, you know, you're near it, but not quite there yet, the changes you're going to have to make are going to be quite different and, um, and quite drastic. And I think that's a really key point to make, certainly for smaller businesses that are trying to find their way. Um, you're going to have to take a bit more risk with, um, with some things. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I posted on, on LinkedIn a little while ago about, um, about A-B testing. And one of the things I mentioned is colors. And it kind of comes off as one of those classic A-B testing um, examples you know changing the color of your call to action or something um it works if you've got massive massive volume i think it was you know it's google that tests you know tests it a huge amount but and they fraction increase they get in conversion rate on on their ads for example because people click through because of this slight very slightly different shade of blue is worth millions to them in the long run but that same test for an e-commerce store doing even a million a month is probably just not even worth the time. You know, there are other, there are other things, yeah. other things you can definitely do that will drive, uh, drive a lot more revenue. Let me give an example on that actually, because I got asked about this a while ago by one of our clients and I didn't have a good example to hand. So even for just my own personal benefit, <laughs> sharing this, um, someone said to me, okay, what, what's a more drastic change a small business should be doing? And I'll give an example of a change that's been incredibly profitable for one of our clients. And we've got three others giving this a go now. Um, these guys are an online e-com store and they wanted to do something different. They wanted, to, they wanted to do two things here. One is they wanted to get more new customers in, which is quite a normal thing for a retail brand to do. They want to increase the rate of new customers arriving on the store and becoming customers, you know, filling out a um, completed checkout basket form, et cetera, and paying some money. Um, they wanted to do that. And... We said, well, we need something quite drastic to take to market to really get this to work. They said, what if we offered subscriptions? And we said, well, not really. You know, difference between a buy button and a subscribe button, five, ten percent off. And they said, no, no, let's let's rethink this altogether. And they had been offering their products out, and this is a really drastic change. Their products have been going out wholesale, and they had been only getting a third of the retail price. And then the retail price was set by the trade body they or the trade partner they sent the products to as well. So they got a third of the price. The trade partner in the middle got the second third and then distributed it out to all the shops and sort of end online stores and things. 
this is pre them having their own shop, by the way. Um, but yeah, so they got a third, the trade partner got a third, and then the end store got the final third. Makes sense. Um, and then they can all pay their own costs and that sort of thing. They were the first business. I won't tell you what industry they're in because you'll be able to work out who they are. And I think this was slightly top secret. The numbers are about to share. Um, but they were the only business in their entire industry who broke away from the traditional eight, nine trade partners that everybody in that industry was in. Anyone who makes those products, they broke away. They then launched their own website the same day they broke away. Bam, new website's gone live. Big Magento 2 store. Um, this Magento 2 store offered subscription and it said, if you buy it today, it's retail price. So to the customer, no different, but you're buying direct. A bit like buying beer from the local brewery, which I've started doing. Instead of buying it from Sainsbury's, I've now found out it's actually 20p a bottle cheaper at Sainsbury's, which has confused me slightly. And so I told yeah. the brewery and they're now, they're now going to give me a discount because they're literally based nearby, especially if I pick it up. And I'm going to pick up like four months supply every time I go rather than a couple of weeks. So anyway, going direct to the brand, no real difference, same price. They said, all right, why don't we take a third off all of our prices? So we're still, um, you know, we're, st we're still then making ourselves incredibly competitive to the user. The trade partner and end store model is now broken because they can't, they cannot compete with us because all three people won't make any profit if they match our price. Cause we've basically just taken an entire partner out of the equation. Um, so something's got to give there, but they said, you can only have that third if you subscribe and it's 30 quid a year. We only want people to subscribe if they're serious. We don't want people straggling on our platform. That £30 a year, I, I don't know if it was 30 again, trying to protect the client uh, here, but that 30% a year, sorry, £30 a year, <coughs> or whatever the price is, that now means you've got people paying that subscription. A bit like I'm on Amazon Prime, as most of us are. I then feel the need to, every time I remember I'm paying, how, I don't even know how much it is anymore, but every time I remember I'm paying for Amazon Prime, I then think about, oh, I should check what films they've got on Prime at the moment, and oh, that new shower head I need. Well, I might as well order it on Amazon to get free delivery. Well, I paid for the delivery anyway by paying for Prime. So I might as well make the most of it. And it's the same with these guys. They then, after the first year, got a 98% um, and 98% of people signed up for a second year with them. We haven't reached year three yet, but that was astonishing that over the first three months of launch, they got loads of new customers, invested tons of money into this, going into it a bit blind, a bit of a risk. It was actually their investors that drove this and said, look, if it all falls apart, it's fine. It's our loss, but we want to give this a go because if this works, we're going to do this to other companies in the same industry and in other industries. And so they went with that. Again, I just think really, really interesting case study of something that a small, smallish brand did that was really drastic to offer subscription with real value tied in. It wasn't just the money. They also send out guides. You get a catalog every year, a nice catalog as well. And it's also about a specific, I won't say what, the specific thing, specific hobby that if you're into it, you absolutely love it. You just see a picture of the hobby and you're like, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I enjoy doing in my life. Um, so yeah, again, works incredibly well and the stats speak for themselves, but they had to do something drastic. So if people are, like you say, they're trying to change buttons, button colors and stuff, it's just not going to work. It's not going to yield any sort of stuff that, that people are really interested in. You've probably kind of mentioned, uh, a few of these before, but just to summarize, what do you, what do you think of the, some of the biggest, almost common mistakes you see in, uh, SEO strategies? I think, as I said, people focusing too much on the little things or thinking that SEO is done or what, what you really need is if your agency is still coming out with the same recommendations or your team are just kind of following a process with adding new content to the site and it's not really changing any of the results, 
then you've got to change your strategy. Um, I listen a lot to Tony Robbins. Um, I listen to a lot of his podcasts. I've read his books. I've got a few of his audio books. I'm listening to it at the moment. Um, he's one of many people that influence me in, in my life. Um, and he's always talking about to get to your next goal, you have to continually change your strategy until you reach the goal. And then when you're close to the goal, set a new goal, either a higher one or a completely different goal somewhere else. And I think it's the same with SEO. I think one of my biggest pet peeves about what people do with SEO is they just kind of go, yeah, we've done the five tags on every page. We've done it. And it's like, well, it's not, as I've outlined, there are so many more things you can do to make real waves in your market um, and in your industry. And I think that there's no end to the amount of PR activity you could put in or um, the amount of times you could change the content journey or even say, well, look, you know, we offer IT um, stuff and we only do it for big businesses. Well, should we open a new division for smaller businesses and launch a new brand? And there's never an end to it. And so I think one of the biggest issues I see is people, they get stuck in this kind of technical SEO rut or content SEO rut or, um, you know, or just the web guys deal with it. It's done. And I would say, don't take that approach. It needs to be joined up. Everybody needs to be involved. Therefore, you need a strategy that every division of the business, every expert, every supplier and partner is A, on board with, B, in close communication with and C, doing their bit to improve and know exactly what they need to do. Yeah, definitely. I think I see it with uh, the same in kind of customer journey optimization that I do. Um, there's always more to do. And, you know, there are some bits you can do on like front ends, like, you know, kind of changing call to actions or headlines and images and things like that. And then there's other stuff you do, which is a bit more, you know, it's a bit more work. Um, and you've got to have other people kind of feeding into it and being involved in the process um, to, to get these changes done. Cause it's not always something you can do with just an AB testing tool. Um, but yeah, there's, yeah, there's definitely. always more stuff to do, isn't there? And you've always, yeah, I, I like the idea of saying, you know, we're about to hit this goal. What's the next one? Like we don't want to hit, I mean, you should celebrate, you know, hit the goal, hit your targets, celebrate, but you should then have your next goal already set. So you can just move on to it and start thinking, right, well, you know, how, how are we going to go hit this goal? Um, as opposed to just, yeah, doing the same stuff over and over again. Um, yeah. Or, you know, if you get a really strong personalization strategy in place for, for your automation, what is the next thing to do? Because just personalizing your uh, your products is great, but it's not enough. There's, there, will, there will be something else you can do. And it might be difficult, but, you know, if it's difficult, it means, uh, well, hopefully it's going to have a big impact. Um, so what, do you think, are there any uh, big trends in SEO and, and e-commerce coming up over the next 12 months? Do you think uh, anything big is going to happen? Yeah, loads. I think there's, I think there's, there's, a, there's waves of change already in motion. Um, e-commerce specifically first. Um, shopware, big commerce. There's a whole range of new platforms out there um, that are make, trying to make everybody's life a lot easier. Um, there have been exoduses from, I won't name names, but they're some of the big, more clunky industrial platforms where you have to do a lot more yourself. People are leaving those in favor of what I believe is a bit more 2020 plug and play technology um things like shopify is very popular shopware is essentially a kind of shopify meets wordpress sort of thing but um in a sense it's kind of magento but it's much much more simpler it's open source you host it yourself um the same with you know big commerce is another big player that i'll, I'll admit we've, we've not really played with at all but they're making waves in the marketplace shopware is i think it's like second or third biggest e-commerce platform in germany 
and they're looking to expand out. So I do think we're going to see a lot of websites continue to move platforms over the coming years. And there are lots of other players coming into that market now, a market where perhaps Shopify have started to capitalize a bit, certainly with their Shopify Plus platform. Um, in terms of SEO, I think voice search has been a complete failure, in my opinion, if I, uh, if I, if I can say so myself. I think, it, I think it does have its place. It will have its place. Um, at the moment, we're not really touching it unless clients specifically want us to. Um, it's good for simply asking your, and I won't mention the name because it's one on my desk right now, um, but your smart speaker. Um, it's interesting just to ask them a question and, and then the smart speaker finds it. Um, Google is catching up though in terms of just reading sites anyway. So there's nothing specifically you have to do vo for voice search. And I think that's kind of fallen off a cliff a little bit in terms of how popular people think it's going to be. And it's just a matter, again, a matter of time until Google can read the content and dictate it anyway. So you're not actually going to need to do any voice search optimization. It's just going to happen automatically. A bit like initially you had to tell Google you had a mobile website, whereas now you just have a website and it's responsive and works at every size. Well, should, should work at every size. <laughs> I think another big trend that we're probably going to see as well is Google announced a few days ago, um, and it depends when this goes out, as well as a few days or a few weeks or months, um, but Google has announced that um, they are going to update the way Google Shopping works. And they are actually going to use Google Shopping for SEO now as well as the paid listings. How that plays out, we shall see. It's currently in beta testing in the US. So we'll see what, uh, we'll see what starts to come of that as well. Um, but certainly that for e-com, I think, will be, be quite, a big, um, quite a big wave. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I've never, I mean, I, I don't use much voice search personally. Um, I, yeah, I don't like using Siri and stuff. Um, I just find it a bit, it's just not the way I prefer doing it, particularly when my iPad just switches on every now and again as I'm talking to someone on the phone and goes, hey, how can I help? Um, yeah, I've turned that off on every device. <laughs> that does not happen to me anymore. Uh, it used sure, to frustrate me though. I'm sure it's switched off because uh, you, you have the option of, I think, pressing the button or saying, hey, Siri. And, um, and yeah, it just every now and again, I won't even say, hey, Siri, anything like that. It just picks up something that I've said um, on the phone or whatever and, and just switches on. And sometimes it doesn't even seem to know what it's doing. But um, yeah, moving on. <laughs> Do you have any pet peeves when it comes to marketing, either as a, as a marketer yourself or, or a customer? I, digital marketing, there's one pet peeve that always comes up. And I use this phrase a lot. I, I tried to trademark this phrase and they told me I wasn't allowed to. Um, but uh, the, the phrase is marketing has been lost from digital marketing. And I, we've spoken about it quite a lot on this podcast already. So I won't, I won't go into heavy detail on it. But just the fact that people, they look at digital as a set of code or processes or get the right platform, cheat the system, get to the top of Google, gamify everything. That is not how customers want to shop or how they behave. And when I say shop, I don't just mean e-commerce sites with carts and products. Um, I also mean services. You know, I, I had to find a roofer recently and I was shopping for a roofing service. Someone's come and inspect my room. Um, and I think people forget about marketing. And like we're talking about the uh, retail sites looking like marketplaces, just list the products. Well, marketing says that you need to have a brand tagline. It says your brand needs personality. It says your business needs personality. It says that you have to have a reason people want to buy you. You have to have a project range that has been created for your customers and then you communicate with your customers through multiple means. 
So offline, you have TV advertising where it's all very visual, lots of slow-mos, everybody's happy, life's dandy. Then you have the radio where it's all about speech and it's about like, you know, the tone of voice and the background noises. And it's all very audible. And you have all these different mediums to then make you go to a shop where you have a very physical experience in that shop. You hold a product, you feel a product. I don't know about you, but whenever I'm in a clothing store, I, I have this thing for jumpers. I love jumpers. And if I could, I have been tempted to move further north um, just to have a much cooler climate so I can wear more jumpers. And I like feeling them. So I very rarely buy jumpers online unless the online can convince me this jumper is going to be, it doesn't always have to be soft. Just I like, I like jumpers that are thick, thin. You want to feel something. And then you go online and online it's like every single advert you ever see is just saying, buy me now. And there's no other message to it. And that's where marketing has been lost. And I think the more brands try and bring that back, the more enjoyable the online world will be. And I think certainly during lockdown where people have had to rely on online, the real winners are the ones that have had person, first of all, the ones that have had available stock for required stuff like pet food and things. Um, but then other people have done really well. They've had very emotive websites, you know, sort of garden furniture, but here's the family all looking great. We're all, and it, almost that kind of sense of, well, we're at home. We might as well enjoy it sort of thing. And again, moving away from being a marketplace and having much more lifestyle photography rather than white background. And white background has its place. You know, when you're looking at the specifications and features of a product, which actually you wouldn't get in the physical world going into a store. Um, you know, you'd probably have to ask for that tech sheet or read the box sort of thing, which whereas on a website, it seems to be the first thing that a lot of sites drive with. Um, you know, this product is 20 centimeters wide. And it's like, yeah, that's an afterthought. Like, you know, tell me how wide this phone or iPad is once I've decided if it's got all the things that I need and it's at the right price point and will it sync with my other devices? And more important than all of that, is it going to make me happy? You know, is it going to bring any joy to my life? And I think my biggest pet peeve is always that marketing has been lost from the digital world, that it's people think it's just clicks and numbers and it's really not. It really isn't. Yeah, no, I have to agree, agree with you on that. Uh, and I think it's, it's come up a couple of times on this podcast, actually. Um, there's no people don't people don't work on the customer journey. They're not working to make sure that the, the customer experience on site is as best as possible. Um, you know, they might try and optimize the the speed that someone can make a purchase, but yeah, they don't kind of build in that branding into it and make, make the purchase experience maybe enjoyable. Um, yeah, I think as well, sorry, just on the speed, that's a really good point. Everybody wants lift and shift as one of my clients calls it. And I get that. And if you know what you want, fine, let's just make it super available, buy it now. But actually, I reckon less than 1% of all online retail brands especially i reckon less than one percent fully understand what the average customer journey looks like in terms of days weeks months visits to the website research i mean how many videos do you think i watched when I, mean, I personally love cars so buying my new car took it's actually been a three-year process and it was three years ago i got my last car and had it on a three-year contract <laughs> so the whole time i was like what should i get next so this car now i cannot wait for it to arrive it's you know the there's been a lot building up to this. I've been watching car videos. I got nine grand off my new car just by clicking on a link from a particular car review website called CarWow. They do the most fantastic videos. And then when I realized I could just fill out a small form and have 10 different dealers contact me through one portal and make me offers. Unfortunately, the closest dealer to me had the best price and the best positioning and everything. And I got nine grand off the car. I was like, this is a no brand. Great user experience. And by the time the dealer... 
So for me, why doesn't the dealer invest more in sites like that? Or actually, why don't they build their own outlet like that, where they review their own cars and they do funny things with them and, you know, drop them off the top of a mountain or out of a helicopter or something like that would get my attention if the, you know, but car brands are so old fashioned, even when you go into a showroom, they're old fashioned, you know, you still sit down, you fill out some paperwork. And if you're lucky, you can drive one or two. And then do you want gap insurance? And it's all very boring. Whereas if you go through something like Carwell, well, I watched videos where they were comparing three cars side by side, the three cars that were in my uh, in my price range, you know, and, and with all the requirements I wanted. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think learning that journey, you know, how long people will actually, you know, and then there will be different profiles of that. And so whether it is a, you know, if you go on a car website, book a test drive, it's like, well, I'm not ready to do that. Probably going to be thinking about my car six to 12 months at least before I actually need it. If I'm buying in an emergency, then actually going to the brand direct is not a good idea. I'll probably go to a reseller who's got lots of different brands and they can let me drive three or four different cars and I decide. Um, so yeah, I think people really need to work out what that time frame actually looks like. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so just finally, uh, on kind of a similar topic, I guess, um, if you could kill off one particular marketing channel or tactic, uh, what would it be? Oh, that is a tough one. Okay. This is going to cause some stirs and I'm going to say social media. Well, just generally, <laughs> just, <all right. laughs> I'll let you explain that one. Yeah. I don't think we should kill it. I think, well, I think, you know, the Phoenix rises from the ashes, right? I'm in the middle of watching all the Harry Potter films because it's in lockdown. I've never actually watched them and they're brilliant. I, I don't know why I'd have been missing out this whole time on Harry Potter. The, the Phoenix rises from the ashes, right? Cause you gave me this question in advance and I've been thinking about it quite a lot. Social media is the, it's that cousin that nobody understands and was born at a time where none of the other cousins were born. If you know what I mean? Like in my family, maybe it's just my family. I'm looking at it from my own perspective, but um, yeah, in my family, there's one cousin who was born before everybody else and everyone else were born in pretty much in pairs. And we've always kind of had that one friend on, you know, on dad's side of the family, which has been quite interesting. Um, and for me, social media is that kind of like misunderstood, I'm not talking about my cousin anymore, um, <laughs> misunderstood sort of um, channel. And I think if we could just kill it and reinvent it from a brand marketing perspective, I think social media, I think is brilliant. Everyone can have their say. Now that Twitter and Instagram have got rid of a lot of the bots, clean the world up. It's, it's great. Everyone can have a say. You know, when I'm watching football games now, well, not now, but when I was and when I am watching them in the future, um, going on Twitter and just clicking on the hashtag and looking at people tweeting about the game right now, saying, has anyone noticed so-and-so got different colour boots on? Like, oh, yeah, you feel like you're part of it. And I think social media has a real part to play in building communities. But from an advertising point of view, I think the way people use Facebook advertising, for example, some of them do it really, really well, but it is only some. Most don't. Most think Facebook is like the next channel alongside Google. And when we talk to our clients, we always say that if you want to do Facebook advertising, fine, put it under social and brand awareness. If you want to make money from it, don't do it until we are all 100% absolutely crystal clear that we've completely exhausted Google. What you've got on Google is people type in something that they need or want or a problem or a question, and then you're there. So you know there's, a, you know there's already a demand for what you're doing. It might be an early stage kind of, you know, how do I get a new kitchen? Or it might be late stage, you know, I need to buy some AA batteries online quickly now. Go on Google, that one on Google Shopping, buy it, done. Um, but equally, Google, you know, people are looking for it. And then brands come into Facebook marketing and Instagram. So 
a lot of the time assuming it's going to have the same effect but you don't search for stuff on facebook i'm having a conversation with somebody so we call it interruptive marketing so it's not necessarily the channel itself that needs to die it's the way people use it it's the tactic behind that that i think needs to be rethought out um facebook can make a lot of money but often the cost per customer is higher than than google because Google people are looking for it, Facebook they're not. Facebook you have to convince them to click on it. It's a much more expensive journey in terms of how many times they're going to click on stuff, how much content you have to put in front of them. You know, again, if I need a car seat for my child, well, I'm going to go on Google and search for car seats. I'm going to buy one because that's what I need today. If I'm on, you know, if, if I'm on Google and a car seat pops up, the chance of me being in the right position at the right time to need a new car seat is very, very slim, very slim indeed. And so I think that's where Facebook, really good for brand awareness if you've got a wide range of products, but don't, don't consider that you're going to get sort of, um, you know, there's all these stories of like people that have made millions off the back of Facebook. And yes, yeah, some have, but very, very few. Um, I met the guy who used to be the VP of marketing at Candy Crush, and they were buying 50% of Facebook's daily advertising space every single day. That's why they did so well. They had complete brand awareness. Even then, he said they were, essentially using a sort of negative profiling system to make sure they weren't retargeting to people that were already using the app unless they hadn't opened it for six weeks. Huge, complicated operation. So for the average brand that is scratching their head a little bit about their SEO strategy, I just think if somebody goes, oh, we should be on Facebook. Why are we not on there? And then they just dive in and start putting ads up and then there's no revenue. It's not tracked properly yet. Money keeps getting thrown at it. If that's if that's the way you're going to build a brand, then fine. But most people do turn to it as a sort of ROI, pay you know paying pound for pound, trying to make um, trying to make some money from it. Uh, and it's just not just not what it was designed to do, how it works, or how it will actually make any money. Yeah, definitely, I, I agree. I think uh, that a lot of people running the campaigns um, run their ads in a similar way to PPC, um, in that they kind of expect they can just put it in front of people. People will go, oh yeah, I want that. Click it and buy. And also, I think the people they report to don't consider the context either and they don't they don't think these people aren't looking to buy we're looking to convince them to buy so when it goes into like the kpi sheets for acquisition you just see the the cpas next to each other and you go well facebook's not as good as ppc is it and it's like well it's because you're not using it right like you say yeah um, definitely i think we're we're just about out of time thanks for that um really really interesting stuff about seo and uh, and just marketing generally, actually. Um, so yeah, thanks for that, Nick. Um, how how can people get hold of you if they if they want to chat? Yeah, definitely. Um, always happy to chat with people. I I have a sort of motto in life that I'll always give an hour for free if anybody needs it or wants it. Feel free to reach out to to me and the team. Um, our email is team at spec digital. That's S P E C dot digital. Um, feel free to find me on LinkedIn. It's uh, my name is Nick Truman. Obviously, I'm the director of Spec. So, uh, yeah, feel free to reach out to me on there or go and check out our website. We've got some cool free guides and stuff on there as well. We're always running events and webinars, so feel free to um, reach out and sort of see what's going on. But um, yeah, it's been great, great to be here. Well, really appreciate the uh, the invite, and um, I hope we're out of lockdown soon. So, as you heard, SEO isn't just about you know putting the keywords in place and link building. You need to have compelling and relevant content. You need to be the best. As always, quality rules over quantity, as we've heard again and again in pretty much every customers who click episode so far. You need to build your brand profile. You want people to talk, to naturally talk about you. And you need to position yourselves in the right place to create that awareness and drive that conversation. 
it's an organic way of building your business. I mean, it's search engine optimization. You know, that's all about organic traffic. It's not like other marketing channels where you can spend a bit of money and drive traffic to your site. SEO requires building and actioning activities which build the conversation around your brand and then, you know, therefore uh, drive traffic to the business. You can't just go optimizing a site, getting your meta tags right and all that stuff. Uh, you know, it's obviously important. You know, you need to tell, you've got to give Google that indication of what you're about. But SEO works best when you build the conversation and create a buzz around your brand. And Google acknowledges that your site has the best content, the best experience, and is giving the traffic what it wants when it arrives on your site. It's not a quick win. It's never done. It's never finished. It's a constant, never-ending battle to the top, but the rewards when you get there can be huge. That's it for today. Um, don't forget to rate the podcast on iTunes and subscribe on the website for future episodes. If you've got any questions about SEO, send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com and I'll, uh, I'll get Nick involved to answer those for you. In the next episode, I'll be speaking with James Shad, the founder of We Grow Startups. We'll be talking about Facebook and Instagram advertising, which is quite a convenient follow-on from this actually. But until then, keep those customers clicking.